0: greetings to you from Cape Town in South Africa. It's a joy to be with you today, and I trust you'll be blessed with God's Word. Uh, Not only have I never visited Fredericton, I think I'm pronouncing that right, I looked on YouTube, I'm I'm probably wrong, Um, but I've actually never even visited Canada, which uh, of course is a shame. But like many others, I've been impressed by the amazing wealth of talent that's sprung from your country, one of the biggest springers of all, of course, Jim Carrey, and Mike Myers, who doesn't love Mike Myers, and Brian Adams, we went to see him in Cape Town when he was doing a concert one time, and of course, that legend, Leonard Cohen, who's been such a part of my own life from my teens even to this day. And I mustn't miss out uh, Nia Vardalos. I had to look down to see exactly how I should say her name. You remember she wrote and starred in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And for all of us who've got Greek fathers as I do, that film was a pretty exact description of life with someone who is continually dismantling English words and giving us their Greek Etymology, that was, that was just a description of, of my childhood, so enjoyed that very much. I have, of course, been south of you. I've visited the land of The Handmaid's Tale, and uh, as Margaret Atwood so loyally infers, I have thus innately sensed the motherly compassion and sympathy and moral superiority of the Canadian heart. So I also have I'm kidding I also have good Canadian friends who go boot here and a boot there and a boot everywhere else. and that may just be a local accent thing, dialect thing, but uh, I'm loving being with you this morning, and I trust you'll be blessed with God's word. We're going to look today at, the, uh, I guess, an exhortation to be a witness. And uh, I think it's a message that you'll be challenged by, I hope challenged and revived at the deepest level. I want to convince you today that belonging to Jesus means you have a responsibility to speak about him to others. This is what you already know, that you are a witness. So let me start by reviewing what discipleship really is. What's the essence of Christian discipleship? Well, it's easy. You know this already. It's simply following and submitting to Jesus. Jesus called this process being born again, or at least the initial aspect of conversion, being born again. And I remember how everything seemed new. Discovering Christ is the best thing that can happen To you, Joe and I recently uh, became emergency foster care parents of a newborn baby. We took in a three day old baby for three months or so. And uh, what a joy it is to see that little one beginning to come to life and recognize you and giggle and gurgle and laugh. And of course, it's a challenge, massive change, but massive joys as well. And that's like the new birth. In our life, when you begin following Jesus, it means challenge and it means change. It means that you now hold loosely beliefs that just five minutes ago you were holding on to really tightly. You were essentially saying, I am now relearning. I'm now, as it were, becoming like a child so that I can learn the right way to think and believe and live. I'm the newest member of this family and I want to humble myself. I need to humble myself in order to learn. And uh, you may have certain points of resistance to some of the new stuff that you're learning. I certainly did myself. The values of the kingdom of God are different from our own self-centred values. But Jesus said you need to become like a child. My view of myself had to change. I had to take a step down. If your starting point is that there are certain things that under no circumstance will you ever change, then I don't know how serious you are about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He's now the Lord. Now, it may be that some of our strongly held beliefs will be reaffirmed or more likely will be realigned by putting Jesus first, but some of them will be challenged. So submitting to him does mean being willing to open your hands and your heart and your mind and say, you are Lord, you, Jesus, are Lord, you are master, and I am servant. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see That's exactly what the first disciples did. That's the standard uh, tenor and tone of discipleship. Jesus taught them. He explained the scriptures to them. He opened their minds to understand the text. And he, he told them to teach us what he taught them. And that's why we have the New Testament. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be under the word of God, shaped by it. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, who is, of course, our teacher. Now, that's not radical discipleship, that's just standard basic discipleship. Every follower of Christ now belongs to him and follows his teaching and the teaching set out for us in Scripture. As Paul says, You are not your own, you were bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6. So, you'll see where I'm going. I'm developing an argument. One of the great blessings of listening to the Word of God preached in church, on video, wherever, is that we often hear what God wants to do for us, how he comforts us and strengthens us. And it's a good job too, because apart from him, we can do nothing. It's a wonderful thing to know that God through the gospel is working on our behalf. Is actually even, it's crazy to say, it sounds crazy, to serve us. And that's absolutely right. But a problem comes in, though, if our view of the Christian life is mainly, or even only, that God serves and helps me. I could misunderstand it and think that somehow I'm the centre of it all, but in actual fact, I'm here to serve others as well. We can become self-focused. Now, there are times when we need to slow down and we need to make sure we're healthy and happy in the gospel, absolutely. But if the focus becomes us and our well-being alone, then we can easily get confused when things go wrong, where it doesn't work, where God doesn't seem to be functioning properly. What's happening? This Christianity thing isn't working properly as, it, as I thought it would do. But the New Testament picture of a disciple is more robust than that, and it's more resilient than that. So yeah, we start with milk, but we need to go on to meat. We're in danger of producing a generation of believers who are not equipped to persevere through challenges. And that has a direct numbing effect on mission on evangelism particularly, because (laughs) perseverance is necessary when it comes to mission. We presume we took a wrong step if the results aren't there, if the person I spoke to doesn't respond immediately positively, or if the person that I prayed for didn't get converted or or didn't get healed or, or seems kind of uninterested. We think, well, that's not for me then. No, no, no. We need to learn perseverance and faith. So many believers say, look, my service is best worked out in worship or in praying or in serving inside the church because that's where I get affirmation. That's where I can see a result. I can see that it's useful and helpful and I get encouraged. The reality is that serving outside is always a little more risky and it's always a little more costly because people don't respond the same as they do within the the kind of uh, etiquette and uh, ambience, atmosphere, relationships, fellowship of the church. True, you might get zero encouragement as you seek to try and share your faith outside. You might be misunderstood you might be rejected. I hope you get encouraged. I hope you do see people come to Christ. But so often we think, oh, I made a mistake by trying to share my faith. I'm not good at it. It's not for me. And that can even happen when sometimes we, need, we read news of you know, believers who attempt to communicate the Christian faith in places where evangelism is frowned on or restricted, even not legal, something goes wrong. And maybe the believer has been a bit clumsy, or a non believer in that kind of story has been a little bit vindictive, and believers are sometimes arrested, we hear in different parts of the world, or, or persecuted. And the non Christian press says, You know, who are these people? It's presumptuous, it's inappropriate to try and communicate the Christian faith in a non Christian culture. Well, how, how do we respond? that well, we certainly do want to respect different people's cultures and beliefs but former generations of christians have responded to that kind of challenge with those who sat in darkness have seen a great light this is good news of god's grace for all people we will go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. These verses seem to rise up within former generations of believer and that instinctive missional resurrection, overcoming impulse can get pushed down in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own thinking. We silence the voice that says go. We silence the impulse that says speak. We need to be wise witnesses, don't get me wrong, not brash or foolish or arrogant or just unhelpful, but also we, we, we mustn't be absent witnesses silent witnesses, we've got Jesus. We've found the answer, and it needs to be shared. Another mistake we can make is to kind of outsource evangelism. You know, we we say, instead of actually witnessing ourselves, we say, well, there are other people in our church who seem to have the gift, whatever that is. They're good at it. But Jesus never outsourced mission. He never outsourced it. He rolled up his sleeves like a leader And he got stuck in. He got to work. And there are adventures, adventures in God for you and I as we begin to sow seeds of faith and the love of God into people's lives around us. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's true evangelism. Uh, There is a joy. That's Acts 20, verse 35. There is a joy in serving others that surpasses the self-focused life. It's good for you to serve others, even when you yourself are under pressure. God himself takes delight in our obedience when there's no apparent reward or applause celebration. He loves your obedience to him. So I wanna look at three emphases which will help you and I become more effective witnesses. And I really hope these will be helpful to you. And again, be wise, be sensible, but be full of faith in God. First of all, dying to self that others might live. In English, the word witness and martyr, they don't sound like it, but they're actually joined at the hip uh, because... Even though, of course, a person who testifies, who witnesses to what they've seen in Christ isn't necessarily, doesn't become a martyr and isn't necessarily a martyr, yet the the English word witness is the translation of the Greek word martyr. And the word martyr made its way into the language of the church because it's easy to see, because martyrdom was the ultimate witness of your allegiance to Christ. And so the two words kind of became joined in the language of the church as well. Every Christian is called to be a witness. And although martyrdom isn't usually on the menu and we don't want it to be, being a witness always means a degree of dying to self, of taking up your cross, of identifying with Jesus uh, and that that's just a basic, it will always be true. Being a witness always involves, initially, I mean, it can, you can get into lots of fun, but initially, it, there's an element of dying to self. It's never cool or easy. And we kind of, even though we would love it to be, it just never is. I was reminded of this recently, Joe and I, um, they've, they've restricted, uh, restricted they've uh, relaxed the restrictions uh, it, it lockdown restrictions here in Cape Town somewhat recently. And so restaurants were opened up and so on. And you go, so we took a couple from our church out for lunch and we, in an open air space, it was lovely, and we ate. And then at the end, as I was finishing up uh, the, the bill, um, I, I, I reached for one of my, I use these little, um, Card thingies that I have in my in my in my wallet. They've got um, just a, a theme on one side and then an evangelistic verse on the other side, and an invite to church on Sunday. So I'm fumbling with this. I'm trying to get it out. I'm I'm, I'm messing it all up, and I, I just I can see him looking at me like, what are you trying to do now? And I'm fumbling and bumbling, and when he finally worked out that what I was trying to do was invite him to church when we open up again, he said, oh, I'd really like to come. I want to. I will come. I want to join. I said, fantastic. Well, look, when you do, make sure you come and say hello to me. Maybe we can get a cup of coffee together. Afterwards, we can chat. And I just thought, wow, it never really gets smooth, or you never get really slick at this, Even even if you're used to doing that kind of thing. Sometimes people look at you as though you've You've released some kind of noxious smell. Other times, people feel kind of sorry for you. It's a bit sad, really, that uh, you still believe in this kind of stuff. But quite often, they're grateful. In fact, whenever I give out one of my own kind of testimonies of how I became a Christian, just in this little kind of 140 words, little leaflet, I think I've given way over 20,000 of these since I first had them printed in 1985, or the the earliest version of them. Um, and I think two times, maybe three, in all those years, have someone said, oh, no thanks. My follow-up is usually, no, 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 it's not It's not a church thing, it's just my own personal story. But I very, very rarely, most, most times people are happy to hear, happy to kind of, it's a personal story, where did that come from? Um, you know, so... There's a small martyrdom, though, involved every single time. And it's, you, it's inside you, and it's usually just before you speak. But then as you begin to talk to someone, whether it's someone you know, you've known for a while, or whether, like in this situation, it's someone that you're meeting maybe once in a blue moon and you're, just, you're in a restaurant or whatever, something will open up. And usually, it can be encouraging. So be wise, but be willing to talk about Jesus. He said this, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the first thing, a little dying to self that others might live. Secondly, deliberately serve the non-believer. When Joe and I lived in America, Um, We were praying for people at the end of Sunday services and one young woman came to us and she was deeply distressed and she was very emotional and we began talking and basically she said she just couldn't handle her job anymore. She was working uh, in McDonald's and her description was that people just ignored her as a person. In fact, they treated her terribly. They were hungry. They were impatient. They just just dismissed her as a person, as though she was just nothing. And if she made a mistake on an order, or it took too long, then it was just horrible. And she said, it was soul-destroying. I don't want to do this anymore. And we prayed for her. And after that time, I just thought, and I said to Joe, and I've, I've preached it, in many, many different times. What a massive difference it would make to someone who's serving like that if every Christian looked up, looked at them, saw them as a person and thought to themselves, how can I bless this person in some way, make their day a bit better? I could smile, I could say an encouraging word, I could say thanks for serving. If you've got one of these little leaflets inviting people to church, you could do, hey, come along to our church. We'd love to see you there. If you don't, look, why not? Why not just say, hey, listen, thanks so much for serving today. Did you know Jesus loves you? Now, you can't get into a whole long conversation at the the till of McDonald's or wherever it is. You can't get into a long conversation with someone, but you can just bring a little ray of light into the dark. And instead of saying, oh no, I would never do such careless evangelism. Like It's only friendship. It can't be anything like, oh, how uncaring. What a load of rubbish. You need to start caring for people. Instead of having this idea up there of what it's going to be for you to really engage in it, there's someone sitting here who's in darkness why don't you be the person through whom a ray of light, even if it's ever so thin and small, but it breaks in, Jesus loves you. You don't know the impact that that would make. And if, if, if she encountered a few Christians in a day, she'd begin to think, that, you know what, there's something about these people. I need to find out more. I need to investigate more about this kind of thing. The problem is that when we're out and about like that, we don't think we are serving people, which is how we should think. We think, why is this person taking so long? Why is this queue so long? Where's the other queue? Why why, why is this person so slow? We're we're thinking, how well is this person serving me? I want to flip that around in your mind today. And put it into your spirit that you would go out and say, how can I serve? Yes, I'm buying groceries or I'm buying vegetables, I'm doing whatever I need to do. But how can I serve this person who is a person made in the image of God? How can I somehow sow a seed of hope, of the love of God, of the love of Jesus in their lives? Even if it's fumbling and stumbling and bumbling and you think as you walk away, oh dear, that wasn't very good. You don't know what people are going through. Be a light that shines wherever you are. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Um, serve uh, the non-believer. Look for opportunities to get the gospel in, even actually on, online. Um, in terms of the serving issue, um, you don't have to you know, dominate your social media profile with, you know, don't, don't, with Jesus means. But, 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 you know, there must be somewhere where the most important person in your life, who is Jesus, something that comes through that could be just a little doorway, a little opening, a little seed to someone to believe. Listen to Paul. Though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though I'm not under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, I'm not outside the law, I'm under the law of Christ. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I mean, he's not... He's not knocking off any aspect of how to share Christ. He wants to share Christ. So it's it's the whole gamut. It's through from being a great worker in the workplace and doing a great job and having good relationships and then opening up into conversations about, you know, what makes you tick, what's, what's really driving your life, why do you go to church on Sundays and so on, all the way through to... Jesus, you know, just randomly going up to a woman at the well. is a total cold contact, never met her before, and her life gets changed because he brings the light into her life. Perhaps there are, you know, reasons why uh, it may be more difficult now, depending on which kind of level of lockdown you're in, I don't know your situation, to talk about Jesus, but really the root issue is exactly the same as it was before. Are you willing to actually cross that line and start witnessing for Jesus, start talking about him? Because if your heart is to serve others, you will find a way of doing it. You will. You don't get bogged down in trying to find the coolest, most high-tech way of evangelism. What we need is this whole system. We bring it in, we pay hundreds of dollars to make it all work. No, no, actually... Just use your own thoughts, your own words, your own experience, and start talking to others about Christ. You know enough already to save the whole world. That's true. So make the most of every opportunity. Yes, with respect, and yes, in faith. You don't need to know all the answers. There's a wonderful illustration that Rick Warren uh, shares where he uh, he talks about the lawyer, the advocate, (coughs) in a court of law. You know, you've seen the courtroom scenes. There's a lawyer there, and he knows all the ins and outs. He knows the processes and the bylaws and the precedents and all the legal ins and outs and all the legal jargon, and he knows what to do. And to have a good lawyer can win you a case, and to have a bad lawyer could lose you a case. But there's another person that's a key player in whether or not a case is won or lost, and that is the witness. And what does the witness have? Does the witness need to learn all the ins and outs of legal precedent? No. The witness just shares what they heard, what they saw, what they experienced. And that's all that's asked of you. Be a witness. It's great to have some apologists who can answer difficult objections, but mostly it's like, what's the reason for the joy that this person has? And the answer is, it's the Lord Jesus. He's changed my life. And there are loads of resources online and in bookstores, but the best resource that you have is your own knowledge of the Bible and your own willingness to take steps of faith to share Christ with non-believers. Evangelism is serving. Fundamentally, it's serving him and it's serving others with the best news ever. And then lastly... Believe a core discipleship promise. So we've said, die a little, serve a little, believe. To Peter and Andrew, James and John, while they were still fishermen, after they'd made that catch, you know, and they brought it back in, and Peter says, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I know you're holy, but you don't know me. I'm a sinner. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I will make you winners of souls. I will make you men and women able to bring others into the kingdom of God. And there's a connection between following and fishing. Follow me. If you follow me, something will happen to you. This comes back to my very first point, that being a disciple means I want to change, Lord. I want to follow after you. You teach me now. Follow me. I will make you. So I will do something in you that wasn't there before, and I will make you into someone who can draw others to Christ. That is not a promise about personality types. Oh no. Do I have to be an extrovert with you know packed out with leaflets? No. But you know, we're always afraid when it comes to witnessing of coming across as, as insensitive or brash or foolish, or just it's all awkward. No, just look at how Jesus responded to people, or initiated conversations. So sometimes, like I mentioned, the woman at the well, he responds in one way. When he's talking to someone else, uh, Zacchaeus up in the tree, he he responds another way. Do a little study of seeing how there's not one size fits all. And God will use your personality. He won't kind of transform you into like you've got to get into the, the, what is it, the telephone box and change into the Superman outfit. No, no, it's you. It's your story telling others what Christ has done in your life. And he says, if you follow me, I will make you into someone who can draw others to Christ. So the more we mature, the closer we get to him, the greater our potential to be fishers of men and women. And I want to encourage you to say, Yes, Lord, take that promise, Lord, follow me, and I will make you a fisher, a winner of souls. Lord, make that true in me, make it work in me. Remember how he said to um, the, the angel, um, said to Mary, No, he's going he's to produce something in you. And her response was, Let it be to me according to your word. Now, God wants to produce something new in you. Let it be to me according to your word. And this is ordinary discipleship. Some Christians say they won't evangelise unless God specifically tells them to. Okay, they're waiting for a special word. Here it is, here it comes. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's pretty absolute, actually, pretty comprehensive, that one. Or sometimes they say, well, no, I need a, like, there needs to be some kind of, you know, impulse or some kind of a miracle. Here it is, here it is. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. (laughs) Now, there are occasionally nudges, but the norm is we begin speaking and then we realise, wow, God's doing something. Through his word, he's doing something in this person's life. Another danger with evangelism, it's not that we focus too much on it because we don't, It's too many Christians believe it's a mysterious gift that only some people have. And that's not true. Now, there is the office of the evangelist, Ephesians 4, gift, like there is a prophet, but that doesn't mean only the prophets prophesy, or a pastor. That doesn't mean only pastors care for one another. No, 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 no. There is an office of the evangelist, like the other Ephesians for ministries, but there is no spiritual gift of evangelism. It doesn't exist. I mean, the gift is telling someone the gospel. That's a gift to give. So yet we say, "Well, I don't have the gift. I don't have that gift." And I've got evidence that I don't have that gift because the evidence that I don't have that gift is that no one gets converted when I talk to them. They don't like it. I don't like doing it to them, and they don't like having it done to them. So I, I, it's not my gift. And they don't like it. Listen, if, if the church that was persecuted for the first three centuries of its life had that kind of attitude, they wouldn't have lasted three weeks, maybe not even three days. When their goods and their properties were confiscated, when they were stolen, when they were banished out of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, what did this, this New Testament church do? Luke uses this phrase, they gossiped the gospel. I mean, you just couldn't stop these people. It's as though someone had been raised from the dead. It's though some, they've got some principle working in them as though they've been filled with the, the spirit of the mighty God and you just can't stop them. They believed in the power of God's word to change the hearts of people who didn't believe. So it was less like seeing if they're open and it was more like we have this power in God's word and as we share that word Something happens. Miracles happen. In fact, that's the story of my conversion. I was converted through reading the Gospel of John, the Bible. All the discussions that I had didn't really get me there. But the Word of God has such power. Go straight to Jesus. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars, rupees, or rands, or pounds. Go straight to Jesus bring them to him bring them to his word share little verses that's what i'm trying to do with these you know in when i grew up one of the only times i ever saw anything to do with christianity was that crazy christians bought these little billboards and printed texts of scripture no explanation nothing just scripture texts on there was a there was a there was a generation that seemed to believe that the word of god itself has power and so it does. We need to restore some of that faith. Now, we need faith, we need courage, but it, listen, it's not a personal gifting issue. It's a bit like someone saying, you know, let's worship, and you saying, well, I, I, I'm sorry, I, just, I don't have the gift of worship. I just, I've tried, but I uh, just, no. Or, or, or um, if someone said, you know, oh, don't, don't, don't talk to him. <laughs> he doesn't have the gift of fellowship. Well, actually, there might be someone like that. But anyway, you know, it's silly. It's absurd. It's absurd. The the monumental relief is that in mission, we are not on our own. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, go, I'll be with you till the end of the age. He works through you. It's your personality. It's your life experience. It's your strengths, weaknesses, brokenness, you know, Healed upness, but your speaking, your writing, your, I don't know, communicating, however it is, in words, is the critical thing that needs to happen. Talk about Jesus. Your life and your behavior, of course, are important. They either make a way for the gospel or they can shut it down. But evangelism is a communication in words. You don't need a new innovation. You need a new attitude. You don't need a new app on your phone or a new strategy. You need compassion. You need the love of God to carry you over your embarrassment, over yourself or lack of confidence in order to share just how wonderful he is, how wonderful Jesus is. And you'll stumble and you'll fumble like me, but it's going to be okay. If you have compassion, you'll listen You'll listen like Jesus did. You'll ask questions and you'll listen. And then you'll be able to guess, you know, what part of the story you should drop in to the conversation, what verses you should bring in uh, if that's you know appropriate. All all of that will come uh, as we share Christ with others. And I trust you'll be encouraged at how people will open up. Some will. Some will reject. Jesus said that they will. Some people won't like it. But some will. Some will. And especially now, you know, we think of, oh, it's really difficult now to share the gospel. But people have been isolated. They need the love of God. So let me urge you to compassion for others around you. So finally, I'm just going to finish off. That's my sermon done. But I just want to note because someone will say, well, he hasn't mentioned this or that, and that's correct. There are three key areas that I haven't looked at, and that's been deliberate. First of all is the important key to mission in the New Testament was this power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. This, as John and Jesus called it, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is really important. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So I don't want to neglect or ignore or deny that, but receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, I haven't talked about the romance of the church's mission as it advances generation after generation ahead of the coming of Of Christ with because in the past there have been seasons of revival. Many of us are not in that now but we need to do some of this uh, not in necessarily in order to get that but to be ready for that and then thirdly I haven't really talked about resources. Um, You know I've got these little kind of cards with text with scripture on them but my goal has been that you see your own personal responsibility to persuade others to believe in Jesus. I haven't focused on how-to ideas or overcoming objections or those are all other messages. This one is to say, listen, this is a call for you not to be silent, not to be afraid, but to speak up because, says the Lord, I have many people in this city. So take up your cross and die a little, to bring others to life be willing to sacrifice and serve the non-believer as you meet with them or interact with them with the truth about Jesus and then lastly believe his promise that as you follow him and who's best to follow than him he will make you effective at bringing others to him shall we pray Father, I do thank you for the power of the gospel, and I thank you for the person of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us more effective. By your Spirit, you'd make us more effective at talking about him and sharing the best news that our friends, neighbours, families, colleagues, acquaintances will ever hear, that Jesus Christ loved them, died for them, rose again from the dead and has the solution to reconcile us to God through the cross. Help us in these things, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.